thinking of starting a podcast? Well, try Anchor. It's free, easy to use, and its creation tools allow you to record and edit directly from your phone or computer. It'll even take care of distribution for you with a single tap so you can be heard on platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Also, Anchor is the only place you can publish video podcasts directly to Spotify. Man, you can even make money using Anchor in a couple of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. It's truly everything you need in one place to make a podcast. So make sure to go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier podcast. As always, it's your boy Mac. Joining me today is Corey Walsh of Fear the Sword. How you doing, Corey? Doing great, Mac. Thank you for having me on. It's an honor to be here. Man, the honor and pleasure is all mine. And as we discussed off record, I'm going to throw these questions at you so fast. You're not going to know what happened. (laughs) And some of them are seriously probably going to put you on the spot. But you know what? I have to do it just because it's my first time having you on the show. And I think it would be a bit of a benefit just to kind of kick things off that way. So with that being said, I have to hit you with this one. It's one of those topics that the Cleveland faithful just don't like to discuss because the debate is just so wide open with this one. And that is the whole Colin Sexton debate. Now, I don't know if you saw earlier on today, but I tweeted about the fact that my stance has softened a little bit on Colin Seston needing to start. Now, due to the way that the team is playing right now, and I understand that these things can change, the apparent breakout of Darius Garland, Jared Allen looking like a monster out there, Isaac Okoro finding finally finding his confidence. These are things that have to play out the whole season before I'm ready to make my definite stance, my, give my definite take on it. But I will say this. I have softened my stance on whether or not he needs to be in the starting lineup or not, just because I feel that as long as you are giving him a starter's load of minutes, he can be just as impactful. And I think that starting is a bit nominal these days. We've already seen a lot of different reserves play a role in bringing teams championships. And I think Colin Sexton could end up being the same way, but I'm not for sure. But I would love to hear your thoughts on the matter. Where do you stand on the Colin Sexton debate? First, do you want to resign him? Second. Um, oh, sorry. <laughs> no, nah, you're good. Secondly, at what cost? Um, I've, I would definitely be comfortable resigning Colin Sexton. I mean, at the end of the day, no matter what you think of Colin Sexton, he's a great player. So obviously he's an asset and teams want to hold assets close. You don't want to just let them walk for no reason. At the very worst, you could sign him to a qualifying offer if the Cavs decide at the end of the day, you know what? We don't love Colin Sexton as a fit for the remainder of the what, what we have with this young core. But at the same time, Colin Sexton, before the season started, wanted like a pretty decent amount of money, like pretty close to the max. And that's what his camp wants. And they're pretty aggressive about that. I mean, the obviously with the meniscus tear that throws a lot into the air in terms of what we can come to expect with Colin Sexton next year. And it could play a major role in how much money we can sign him for next season. But I see a lot of Cavs Twitter these days saying how the team is much better because we don't have Colin Sexton, even though the team was seven and four 
with Colin Sexton, which is no, still a pretty decent record considering as Cavs fans in the past few seasons, we've come accustomed to uh, slower starts to the season, except for last season where we started off kind of hot and then trickled off into mediocrity to some mediocrity. But I don't think it's also fair to use this uh, stretch by the Cavs as a measuring stick to Colin Sexton's worth. I think Colin Sexton is a very good player. I think he's a player that even though the Cavs are playing super well at times, they do miss because he brings a scoring punch that this team still doesn't really have. And I see a lot of teams or a lot of uh, people on Twitter for that matter, think that whoever the Cavs should trade, want to trade for at the deadline needs to bring that same scoring punch that Colin Sexton basically has left behind. Ricky Rubio has done a great job of being a facilitator, backup point guard, uh, allowing the bench to kind of settle and actually create, put the Cavs in better opportunities than most benches do in the NBA. But I don't know. Colin Sexton to me is worth a lot. I don't think his value should depreciate based on how the Cavs are doing now or his injury. We all know he's a hard worker. So I would love to have Colin Sexton back next year. Does he have to start though? Um, I don't think necessarily, definitely not for the team. He doesn't have to start. I just, I feel like Colin Sexton is a player who really views himself in high regard. And I know he's definitely a team player, but at the same time, I think him and his camp are probably like, well, if we're not starting, we could start for someone else. That's certainly possible. And I do get that. There is a human element in all of this uh, that is not lost upon me. I do understand that the guy has given three years and ten and a half games to the organization. And he's played just about as well as you could expect him to with uh, minimal talent around him for much of that time. So I do understand it. Colin Sexton is a hell of a scorer, very hard worker, seems to be a a really good teammate, uh, despite what the rumors may suggest in the past. Uh, I just, I don't see a reality in which he gets, you know, near top dollar. And honestly, you know, just being honest with you, I, from a team perspective, I'm hoping they can get him under a manageable deal that works for both sides. But at the end of the day, I am a Cleveland Cavaliers fan, you know, so I I want what's best for the team. And if the team continues to roll like they are, you can't deny that there is a role for Sexton, but you also can't deny that him coming off the bench wouldn't be necessarily a terrible thing, not only for him, but for the team. I think there's benefits to starting him and him coming off the bench. We've already seen what Isaac Okoro, uh, you know, what he looks like starting beside one Darius Garland. And we know that there are some, there are some limitations, at least right now at this point, from what he can bring to the table. But just because Isaac Okoro is not necessarily a better player than Sexton at this point in time does not mean that his fit doesn't mesh well. And so at the end of the day, I guess I say all this to say that it doesn't matter to me whether or not Colin Sexton starts or he's off the bench. As long as the Cavs are able to retain him at a reasonable rate and a good salary that works for him, I'm cool with it either way. It just seems like some people, I'm not going to point any names here, definitely not going to do that, but 
some people just can't get past the fact that that is a possibility. It is it is a potential reality for the Cavs. And so it just it's a bad spot for all involved. He came into the season expecting to be able to prove himself and he finally had some talent around him. He finally had some some players beside him that could actually get the job done and he gets hurt. It's just it's bad and the team doesn't get to evaluate him. It, it it's just a sucky situation for everybody involved. Yeah, I feel really bad for Sexton. I mean, he is basically the cornerstone of this rebuild, unless you want to consider Kevin Love being the last player there, the cornerstone. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, he's certainly something. I don't know about the court. No, he's like a wobbly brick on the side that we're just lucky is keeping the building afloat. <laughs> but Colin Sexton, I mean, I love the guy. I did. I have to be honest. I was not a huge fan of the draft pick at the time. I really wanted Michael Porter Jr. And I was disappointed when he uh, did not get selected and fell down to Denver. But as time has gone on, you just grow to love Sexton because he's just been a fighter the whole time. The one thing you can't say is he hasn't consistently improved as a Cavalier. I think when you think about when he was drafted, like his number one shot was a mid-range jumper. And they were saying that he was going to be more of a defensive guard than anything else. And boy, did they get the reverse of that? Oh, yeah, <laughs> the Cavaliers yeah. became an absolute flamethrower as a point guard. <laughs> Didn't expect that in the slightest. And the funny thing, actually going back to what you said about Sexton coming off the bench is when you really think about the lineups, the Cavs ran last season, Sexton was basically the backup point guard because they would run him yes. and Garland out together. And then they would yank Sexton out with like three minutes in the first quarter into the first quarter and have him operate with the second second unit. So him coming off the bench, like people can argue that that would be a bad thing for the team, but it's going to be no different than what they would probably run. If he was a starter being there for the tip and then being, and like getting yanked immediately doesn't really make you a starter. I think at the, it's just a tough situation. I think people can easily nitpick one or the other. But we have seen that Sexton could thrive in a role where him and Garland just keep on alternating who dominates the ball. I mean, I completely agree. And another angle to this, you know, before I move on to the next topic is that it doesn't necessarily mean it's a clear indication on what you think of the guy. It just, in my opinion, one thing that I think a lot of people are missing here is the fact that I think Isaac Okoro's best strengths would be best utilized within the starting unit. Mm -hmm. If you want to be able to put the ball in Sexton's hands, you wanted him to be able to be more of a facilitator. You're not going to take the rock out of Darius Garland's hand. So uh, the best way to do that would be to feature him off the bench. I'm just saying. I totally agree. (laughs) I'm just saying. And I know some people don't agree with that, and that's okay. And truth be told, at this point in time, I'm okay with either position as long as he is retained. I think, uh, as you pointed to, you know, he – He's really the heart and soul of this rebuild, and he he really does embody you know the Cleveland Cavaliers organization. He's a hard ass worker. I I wish nothing but the best for him. I'm hoping that he has a speedy recovery, and we'll have to see what happens in regards to the contract stuff. Uh, but with that being said, what do you make of Isaac Coral's season thus far? He's currently averaging nine and a half points, four rebounds, one point seven assists. I mean, he's he's still only shooting 30.1% from three-point range, but he's been pretty good over his last five games, uh, all Cavs victories, uh, to the tune of 16.6 points, and he's knocked down 55.6% of his triples. 
What do you make of his season so far? It's definitely like a tale. I would say a tale of two halves, but it's really, that doesn't even correctly outline what the season's been. It's been like a tale of like three bad quarters of a season <laughs> and then one good quarter offensively, of course, because Isaac Okoro has been a great defender for like the entire season. Like last season, oh, yeah. we were running him around like he had endless energy. He was like JB Bickerstaff's energizer bunny, just threw him on the court and was like, oh, go, go guard uh, KD for the night, go guard LeBron. And then like, the best win that the Cavs could get out of those games is like, did you see what Isaac Okoro did to the KD and when he pulled up for mid range, yeah. he made him adjust. He, uh, didn't he, he led all rookies in minutes last year, didn't he? Yeah. I think that's what single-handedly earned him that uh second all rookie team, <laughs> because if you look at his stats, you would just have to squint last season and be like, what? But exactly. like, but it's kind of actually, now that I think about it, it's very similar to how his rookie season went in like a microcosm sense, because at the, if you remember towards the end of last season, Isaac Coro really turned it on offensively to the point where we were all just like, wait, this guy has, the, this is the gear that we were hoping he would have like maybe in like year two or three, which led into this season and summer league. He kind of disappointed because they wanted him more to hold the ball in a facilitator role. But when you're passing it around and hoping Lamar Stevens hits consistent <laughs> corner threes in summer league, you don't really get a good chance to see if the vision turns into production Exactly. And yeah. this season we're kind of taking a step back of him being like a facilitator. And we're just like, Hey, Isaac on fast breaks, just duck your head down and fit, like run to the rim as fast Transition as basketball. Yeah. It feels like honestly, like in football where you'll see a quarterback just like throw a hail Mary. Cause you see Jetty and Isaac, the minute a rebounds made just sprinting full speed down the court, just hoping for an outlet pass to get like a transition bucket. And Okoro, like you said, his shooting has been was awful. I feel like he his shot looked as flat as it did at majority of last season, but it's really picked up and it's gone from me. I think I tweeted like two days ago. It went from like him being in the corner, being like, "Oh God, he's so open," <laughs> and like thinking he's gonna take it, and then just having brick it. And now I'm like, "Oh my God, he's open." They don't even know what's about to happen with ice. And then he just makes exactly. it. It's like, it's such a difference in transformation and confidence. I think that's the biggest thing. Biggest like, key for him. He is such a confidence level shooter because his mechanics honestly still don't look like a shooter's mechanics. Like you still see like almost zero to almost. They looked the exact same way at Auburn as they do now. I mean, yeah. I'm not going to lie. It's just, as you pointed to, it's confidence. Confidence is key with him. And I think you want to know something else? There's a correlation in what you just said. In the the last stretch of the season last year, in nine games, where did he play? Primarily the shooting guard. It, yeah. It, it, there's there's no denying that his impact, whether or not he's scoring the basketball or playing on defense, he 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 just fits the mold what the Cavs want him to do right now, but. As far as we're, uh, what the production that we're seeing out of him, you know, you said that you would have to squint your eyes if you looked at it last season. It's much the same this season, but mm -hmm. you wouldn't know it if you were watching Cavs basketball. It's just, it's one of those things. You, you can't truly judge a player's worth to a team based purely upon the box, uh, you know, the box score and the stats and whatnot. And so, I truly believe that if he's able to try and if he's able to continue to shoot with confidence and he's able to 
actually work the cutting lanes? Because I think that's another, he leaves a lot of points on the table, in my opinion, mm-hmm. in that regard, because he just seems there seems hesitant to cut at points or he's not seeing the the open lanes because there, there have been quite a few lately. And I think if he's able to just do those few things, he'll be able to up his points per game average at least four to five points. And I think you're seeing that right now over this five-game stretch. He's been fairly consistent in regards to his scoring, and he's doing it in a multitude of ways. But my opinion, the guy is best in transition. I mean, yes, I can't tell you how many of these highlights I've seen from him. It's just, it's uncanny. And you've probably seen this too. He'll sit right outside the key, right outside the paint area, just because he knows the defense is going to be able to make make a play, make something happen. Mm-hmm. And we've seen already, even just this season, we've seen countless outlet passes to him uh, from from Cleveland's bigs, and he, he's he's looking unstoppable in transition on most plays, unless you're Giannis and you're just yeah. giving, <laughs> you saw that one, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> That, that was a that was a tough block. That was a reality check. <laughs> exactly. He brought him down to earth with that one. But you know what? It, it doesn't get any better than seeing Isaac Okoro dunk on three players. No, it does not. That was an awesome dunk, an awesome picture. So meme. Uh, there's so many memes you could just do with that one picture. He's like carrying the, all three Rockets defenders to the basket, it looks like, in that freeze frame. Exactly. It's just, it's fun basketball to watch right now, but you know, talking about all this good stuff doesn't come without a little bad. So as I'm sure you've seen, you know, Okoro is likely to miss some time due to dealing with the NBA's COVID protocols. And so I don't know if there's been any definite news on how long this is going to take, but my question for you would be who should get more time in his absence? I feel like a lot of people are going to automatically look at the position and just think that it should be like Jetty or someone who can just come off, play a wing type position. But I, I'm like in the mindset that I just don't want to tinker with stuff that is already like set in place. I would feel most comfortable probably throwing Ricky into the shooting guard position. Cause he's already started at shooting guard at points this year. But I think Jetty is like, a player that I want to keep in a box. Like I want him to have a defined role, keep him within his like limits because we've seen what Jetty uncorked looks like. And it was, he, I love the season he's producing right now. Don't get me wrong. But last season he drove me insane. He just looked like he ran with his head chopped off at like 90% (laughs) of the time. And I just couldn't understand his decision-making. If he made one, three in the first quarter, I was either thinking, Oh my God, he's about to just hit so many more threes in this game. Or I'm like, Oh no, this is the worst thing that could have happened. Cause Jetty's going to go gunslinger and think he's Ray Allen from like circa 2010. (laughs) And just start shooting all these threes from weird angles. I kind of just want to keep Jetty in this like six man gun. I agree. I I think Rubio is the easiest person to put in that spot and not change like the complete definition of the starting five. I, in an ideal world, I would really love Dylan Windler to play those minutes. But as we've seen, talk about confidence issues with uh, a Coro Windler is just, I don't know what happened. On the opposite spectrum in that regard. Yeah, his confidence is like way down. He had to go to the G League. Then he looks super good in G League games. And then he comes back. He looked decent with his limited minutes against the Rockets. But I wouldn't say at all that's like, all right, Dylan, suit him up. Get out there. You're <laughs> going to play some starting two. 
and then watch him go gun shy again. <laughs> I, I, just, I, I just don't get it. I mean, you see guys like Dean Wade, for instance, dropping 16 points whenever mm-hmm. his name is called. And he's always, whether or not his shot is falling, he's always providing tough defense out there. We've already seen him play very good defense on the likes of Kevin Durant this season. But Dylan, as you point to, it's it's so much is a confidence issue with him. And ideally, yeah, you would want to roll him out there or you at least would like to include him and give him some heavy rotation minutes. But you just can't trust him right now. It's weird. No, it's so weird. And then you think about players like Lamar Stevens, who offensively are probably like the least talented on the team not as like an insult or anything. Cause he's obviously like a grit and grind type player. He's like defense first. He, if he, his, if I think of Lamar Stevens offensively, I just think of him like forcing his way to the rim, getting some finishes along the glass. But I, he had the worst offensive game of the season against the Lakers. I'm pretty oh, sure. Yeah. And was, he, bad. you would think for most players, like I would be afraid if that was Windler, I would think that Windler season would be over. Like, I think he, that would be in his head for the whole season. And then you look at Lamar Stevens now and I'm like, if he's in the corner three, I still get kind of excited thinking it could go in because his shot, he's not afraid to shoot. If there's one thing Lamar Stevens isn't afraid of. It's the pull up from anywhere. He's like, I'm open. All right. I'll take a shot from the corner. Yeah. And he's managed to hit a few. And I think when I think of Lamar Stevens, I think he is second to only Colin Sexton in regards to hard work. For this Cavs team, the, the the dude is a bull. He is a very hard worker, and I legitimately love to see him on the court within the rotation. It's just for me, if he is ever able to add at least a semblance of a three point shot, even if he's converting at like 34, 35%, man, I'm, I'm going to be ecstatic. I'll be over the moon happy for him because the guy just works his ass off. Um, I just, if you're going to elevate Rubio, back into the uh back into the starting lineup i'm just wondering how that bench unit is going to look we were in agreement here with jetty because for so long jetty's the biggest word that could probably describe jetty is inconsistent yep (laughs) and so i think that a lot of people would agree with that and so this season we've seen with a simplified role with you know a little bit more of a limited minutes and not expecting him to go out there and play make and facilitate it's We've seen, we, we saw the experiment that was no last season as point jetty. <laughs> we don't want to see that anymore. And so his role, his role has been simplified and now he's thriving. And I think that was the player that, that jetty was always meant to be in my opinion, not too much, yeah. not too little. And he can give you just what you need. Uh, but just wondering who's going to get extended minutes. Cause we don't know. We just don't know yet if this, if this is going to affect other players on the roster. And that's what's so damn scary about this. Yeah, you'd have to assume that at least another player or two will probably succumb to being sick with uh, COVID at this point. Because, I mean, you look at what happened with Kevin, Kevin Love and Lowry. Yeah. It, the, just... it was two at once. And luckily for us, our strength this year has been our depth at the like bigger positions. Like our forwards and centers are just – we have immense depth there. You but this is a position where we guards. do not have any <laughs> – yeah, I mean, I mean, what are you going to do, roll Kevin Pangos out there? Or, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, we we've seen almost everybody get a little bit of uh, play time this season. Uh, even Taco and Ed Davis has been a good story this year. Yes, but we we just we don't have enough depth, especially with Colin being out. 
at the guard spot to to really feel good heading into this, uh, even at this weaker stretch of games that we're about to see. But I, I don't know. I'm not feeling too great about that. I mean, you can never truly count. If the Cavs have taught us anything this season is that you just can't count them out. But they've dealt already with this COVID thing once this season. And I don't know, with missing missing Isaac and Sexton, that's that that's a big deal for me. It uh as you pointed to, we're a little we have a little bit more depth in regards to our bigs and to an extent our wings. But I I don't know how they're gonna navigate this. So I'm I'm gonna be praying that nobody else falls falls victim to it and you know hopefully it'll be a short period of time for a coro because I think Lowry, I mean, didn't he miss like seven or eight games? Maybe even, maybe even nine. Yeah, and I feel like I was watching Dean Wade suit up a lot more than I was expecting. <laughs> yeah, I think Love was the same way. I can't remember the timeline on both of those guys, but I know they did miss a pretty big chunk of games. So we'll have to keep our fingers crossed for that one. Uh, and with that being said, I guess that's a good segue into my next question for you. And that is, do you buy the long-term viability of the three seven-foot lineup? Um, I feel like this is like the toughest question to think about because yes, it's working now and the numbers look great. And I don't, I can't obviously predict the future for what I think the NBA, how it will react. I just think like any, (laughs) in any sport, when you see something that's like out of the normal, you just, it takes time to adapt on how to play it. And I feel like there are ways in which you can expose this three big lineup, specifically Lori, because for as long as we've known Lori Markinen, we've known that he isn't a great defender and he's a little slow footed, but the Lori we're seeing this year is so drastically different. It's weird. It's, it's like it's offensively, he's the same. Like he's not doing anything that differently outside of being more aggressive towards the rim. It's just aggressiveness with him. He is so different. JB must have like took him into the corner and just like lacerated him with words. Be like, you got to be roughed him up a bit. He did something. I don't know what the hell he did, but he injected him him with some like rabies or something because he's become like a mad dog out there. But he is just, I have been so pleasantly surprised. I was so skeptical of this trade. I was I was so much more skeptical of him being the starting three. Cause like, I think like all cast fans are like, Oh, nice. Okoro getting another year at small forward, grow into the position a little more. Wait, what Lori's starting. And then you're just like thrown out of the loop there. But I think I would be, I want to know, I think you could get a better answer of how this lineup will look like how the NBA can deal with it when we're more towards like the playoffs portion of the season. Because like you said, the Cavs, they kind of, I, I'm kind of in the mindset that like this, don't take this as like a clickbait or type or uh, statement or anything, but I kind of get the, the feeling that the Cavs could be the jazz of the East in which they look so potent in the uh, regular season, but all it takes is some minor adjustments for the postseason when you're getting familiar with an opponent. And once you figure out how to like slow down this big three lineup, the Cavs could be kind of toast. Fair enough. And that's, I think that's the worry for most Cavs fans. And that's honestly, you know, that goes back to the context and conversation. Uh, it's just, you don't know what adjustments are going to be made. You kind of need a go-to score. Cleveland doesn't seem to have one uh, in particular right now. And uh, once teams do kind of get a feel for your play style in a seven game series, things are going to get exposed. You know, I'm hoping that that doesn't, happen in in the case of the Cavs but it is definitely a possibility especially uh with the way that they're playing and their chosen play style I just 
for for Laura. I think for him coming into the season, no, I was not exactly thrilled with the idea of him starting at the three. But I will say this: he has he has completely changed my mind in that regard. Just because mm. I thought, you know what? He's going to be so slow-footed against wins <laughs> out there. But his length, even when he gets beaten, even when he gets blown by, his length more than makes up for that. Uh, I mean, he's never going to be a guy that goes out there and blocks two, two and a half shots a game. But he is affecting the game on that end by sheer length. And I think that that's bothering a lot of opposing teams. I, I Again, I don't know if this is going to hurt, hold uh, hold up long term, but it is something to uh, to keep an eye on for teams around the rest of the league. You know, as we've seen over the past decade or so, teams are going smaller and smaller. It seems almost every couple of years, and mm-hmm. the, the Cavs appear to have made big basketball <laughs> uh, stylish again. Yeah, yeah. JB's an innovator. He, what can I say? He's always been known for his offensive acumen. Uh, <laughs> I mean, speaking of him, man. I mean. Coming into the season, so many people wanted him and and uh, Kobe ousted. Uh, you know, I, I don't count myself amongst those bunch. And to be honest with you, you know, I'm I'm not going to beat people down anymore because I've done a good job at that recently. I'm not going to beat people down anymore for for having those opinions coming into the season. But one of the things that you often have to keep in mind for not only head coaches but uh, general managers is that. One, you have to give them time to execute their plans. And so, you know, all people with vision, they're always viewed as a little bit crazy, a little bit thinking outside of the lines, thinking things are not going to work. But when they do, you have to give them their, their, their pops. You have to give them their fair share. And I think that both of them deserve recognition for what they've been able to do for this team. Uh, specifically JB. I don't know what he's selling them. I don't know what the hell is in the water in Cleveland, but it's working. <laughs> I mean, he he has those guys looking like they're ready to run through a brick wall for him. It's crazy. Yeah, no, I think the best thing about JB is that he's definitely built the team that a JB Bickerstaff team should be built. Like, if you think about his Memphis teams, they were pretty solid defensively at all times. He's always been known. I joked he has off his offensive acumen is like his strength, but it's defensively. He has really always, that's been his focal points of his teams. He has really done a good job of instilling a culture with this team. He, him and Kobe have definitely worked together when they've drafted these players because they're all hard workers. They're all gym rats. They're all players who are going to, he'll get, be able to get the most out of them. And I don't, I agree with you. I saw a lot of people who wanted, I saw a lot of people who wanted Kobe fired more than I saw people that wanted JB fired. And the funniest thing is that you forget that J, uh, Kobe made all these like moves of him just flipping for assets, asset, right. flip, asset flip, take advantage of things. And they've all turned out pretty well. If you're going to sit here though and complain that you wish you had Kevin Porter Jr. still, I, I don't know what to say. If you want to say that's Kobe's like biggest <laughs> error, that's away. fine with me. Yeah. I mean, I mean, what general manager doesn't have a few of those in his closet? I just, I think when you evaluate him over the course of time, he's done a damn good job. He's done just about as good as you could ask for him for, in regards to draft positioning and taking guys. I know you had pointed to earlier that, you know, uh, Michael Porter Jr. was kind of high on your list in regards to the whole Sexton thing. But 
these guys that he's drafted, at least so far in their careers, have, have been very good. Mm-hmm. Colin is looking like he was on his way to uh, to stardom prior to injury. Darius Garland is experiencing a similar type of breakout. Uh, Isaac Okoro is not – I'm not going to throw the word late bloomer in there. I, I don't believe in that for him just because he's so damn young. The guy can't even buy a damn drink yet. So I'm not going to say that about him, but I will say this. It's taken a little bit of time for for him to develop, but he's starting to come around. And I think that we we live, and I said this in my last episode of Breakdown of Okoro, I think we live in a society now in which everything has to be fast-paced. Everything has to come at you, and nobody has time to wait for things to develop, and nobody's patient anymore. No. And so it's important to remember that these guys are very young and they're going to require time to develop. And once you get the right guy and lock him in place, as in Evan Mobley, things can start to take off for you. And that hints the vision that I was referring to earlier. Kobe Alvin clearly had a vision and he was able to surround Kobe Alvin with enough players to kind of play defensive minded basketball that you're seeing right now. And it's been beautiful. So you know, to those people who wanted them ousted, I'm just glad that the Cleveland organization did not listen to them. <laughs> yeah, especially with Dan Gilbert, who in general has had a generally short leash Ooh. of things. Are yeah. talk about impatience? <laughs> he'll he'll yank you as soon as he needs a reason to. With uh, remember what he did to Mike Brown the second time around, and uh, oh god, <laughs> Byron Scott, all those guys. I, there's. David Blatt, there's there's just been a lot of different guys who have come and gone. You know, I have very quick tenures and no patience is given out. And I get it, you know, in the case of Blatt, there's just chemistry issues. It looked like he was a little bit John in over his head. John Beeline, definitely. That, that's one. He just, he didn't mesh well with the players at all. Nope. So, <laughs> Not a team guy. <laughs> no, he, he kind of looked like Urban Meyer out there. I was going to say, I'm like, <laughs> the Urban Meyer news today. Brutal for what John Beeline's doing right now. Exactly, exactly. Uh, moving on. Uh, with that being said, just want to ask, because a lot of people kind of seem to be up and down with this one, too. What were, you, what were your opinions of Kevin Love coming into the season, and have they changed thus far? I am probably, like, on the most pro Kevin Love side. I don't know why. Like, he could throw five more temper tantrums in his lifetime. Like all it takes is one good game with him for me to like have to write back on it. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, Kevin, you dog. <laughs> Come on. I mean, he helped bring a title. I mean, I'm, I'll say this, I'll be forever indebted to him for that. At least, you know, in, in regards to thinking sentimentally. And I think obviously we all know now that Kevin love of old is not coming through those doors. Although you see glimpses every now mm-hmm. and then. Um, and he will never be able to live up to his salary. But the thing that I'm enjoying the most about this season in regards to his play is just he's helping usher in a new era of basketball. And it's funny to me, the guy who was mentioned in so many trade rumors is the last man standing. Yep. (laughs) You just don't see that happen. It's, It's a little poetic to me just because you see the guy, you know, he was... Fans just never seemed fond of Kevin Love from the jump here in Cleveland, dating back to 2014. Mm-hmm. Always in trade rumors. It just it, it it would never stop. And now look at him. He's here helping usher in a new era of basketball for the Cavs. And he could be a primary factor in helping them get to the playoffs. 
for the first time since 1997, 98 without LeBron, which is crazy. Yeah, I am in love <laughs> with how Kevin Love is playing for this team right now. Like he has surprised me in all the best ways possible. I never once thought this year we'd get another. I thought after that Celtics game last year that that was like, oh, well, you know, that's probably the last 20 point plus game Kevin Love will probably put up for the Cavs. And uh, we'll probably see him in Brooklyn next year or in L.A. or something when he gets bought out. Definitely. But this has been just a revelation. The minute Rubio came in, I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> this is this is a reason he'll want to stay. He's always loved Ricky. This is going to be great. And then my expectations were just blown off, like whatever I thought they possibly could have been. He has been phenomenal when him and Ricky are on the floor. The ball movement is so great. It's like such a professional level of ball movement. I'm seeing because like you think about the Cavs teams in past seasons, it felt like the air was just going to get deflated before the shot was made because they were just pounding that ball into the dirt. Yeah, I was just like, man, we don't have any ball movement of Garland's off the floor. Like everything's so stagnant. And then you watch these Rubio love minutes and it's like the Harlem Globetrotters out there. They're throwing the ball all <laughs> over the place. Skip passes everywhere you look, no looks, just all this flashy flair. And I'm just Fun like, oh basketball. my God, this is beautiful. I feel like I'm watching Ginobili. Of art. It's just, it's insane. I am so happy for Kevin Love that he's doing well. I now am in the mindset, I'm like, he has got to stay for life. If he's he leaves, it would be a devastating moment for Cavaliers fans. Well, at least those who still don't want him to be off the team, which I wonder how much of the original percentage of cast fans still feels that way. I think I'm going to put a poll out there for that. I, I'll probably end up doing that after this episode drops. I, I'll say this, man. He continues this pace of play. He's got to retire a Cleveland Cavalier. I think for him, a lot of fans, the majority of people who originally felt that way, is it just all boils down not to the tamper tantrums, but to the contract. Mm-hmm. I think the salary is just the, such a, a glaring thing to so many people to get past, no matter how good he plays, they're going to always feel this motherfucker should have never gotten <laughs> that much money. That's, that's how they're going to feel. I get it. But at the same time, at this age, what he's able to do, and it's, it has got a similar type of effect that, that Jetty has had this season. You mm-hmm. simplified the roles, you gave them reduced minutes, and now they're thriving. And, and you're keeping love healthy. And I think that was one of the number one things for him, especially. Yes. So and if they're able to get him through the whole season, if he's able to play a, a big part in the playoffs, and I think he will, you got no choice but to to keep this guy around. I think his contract next season becomes an expiring one after that mm-hmm. season. And he'll probably be looked at as more of a – he might get a little interest. Uh, he might get a little – uh, boost to his trade value if he continues playing this way, but I still don't see it happening. That's such a a monumentous contract, and I don't crazier think things have happened. I mean, yeah, it's possible. I think I think the only two teams that I would be that I would be probably worried about maybe taking a shot at him would be L.A. as you pointed mm-hmm. to, maybe Brooklyn, but uh, I don't know, man. <laughs> they got their own problems with Kyrie right now. So Kyrie homecoming. <laughs> It's just, I don't know. And that's that 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 is such a crazy thing to see that Kevin Love is balling out the way he is. I, I couldn't be happier for him. Uh, with that said, the next question that I had for you, man, is what are your thoughts on a potential Ricky Rubio contract extension? 
um, if you want to extend them, what would you feel comfortable, uh, comfortable offering? Um, I actually was hoping you'd ask me about the Ricky Rubio thing because I see on Twitter that there's still these people out there that want us to flip Rubio before the deadline. Well, my main question is, did you not watch the Cavs last year when Della Vadova was our backup point guard? And Dotson minutes. Oh my God. It was that ball did not move anywhere. (laughs) No, I mean, like we saw Dante Exum. We saw Damian Dotson. We saw Matthew Delvadova. I think we saw Quinn Cook. We saw oh, yeah. a few. We saw a few people try and come in and run the backup point guard, and that's oftentimes why you had Colin Sexton as both a starter and the de facto backup point guard at times last year. It was ugly. Ah, it was so awful. So I can't even imagine a world where we're trading Ricky Rubio for like a late first round pick just so we can add it to our cupboard and then go like, oh well, I really hope that. Uh, Someone wants to step up and be that backup point guard. Maybe Kevin Pangos will get the tread that we're all desiring. But um, yeah, no, I want Ricky Rubio to stay. I want him to be extended. I don't, I would want like a two year deal maybe for like two years, 18 doesn't seem that ridiculous to me, you know, kind of get him within that like 10 million a year range. Cause he's so valuable. A little bit over the uh, mid-level. Yeah. Just like, I feel like, Obviously, if we have to compete against other teams, which I would expect based on his play this year, there's like we saw reports that uh, the Warriors were really interested in a Rubio buyout from the Cavs when it was a uh, when he was first traded there. I think he definitely would have a market. If we have to compete. I would say the max I would spend a year is like fifteen a year on Rubio. Okay, that's fair. That's totally fair. I think with me, the only thing that that I'm worried about is the Sexton deal as well. That looms. I think, mm. I mean, there's, there's not a lot of teams that will have a, a high amount of cap space this upcoming summer. So that'll definitely help. Uh, but in regards to his value, I'd be okay going that far. I think you have seen, like you said, you have seen the Cavs without a backup point guard and it is not pretty. And to go from that, to what we've seen this season. And really there's a case to be made that Ricky Rubio has been the best distributor of the basketball this season. I mean, if you mm-hmm. want to say Darius Garland, that's great. You'd, you'd be okay with that one too. It's really one A to one B. If you ask me, um, Rubio just, he, he has changed so much with this team and there's really only been a few additions to the roster. And it's just been crazy to see the impact that he alone has had. I mean, Outside of Evan Mobley, he's he's definitely got to be one of the Cavs' more important players right now. It's just it's, it's beautiful basketball to see when he's on the court. So hopefully he remains a Cavalier. Um, what is what is Rubio? 31, 32? Yeah, some something around there. He no, he was in the league three years after Kevin Love, but he was that weird thing where he was drafted in his rights. He they drafted his rights, so he stayed in Spain for like a few uh, yeah, years. Yeah. So I don't know necessarily. That kind of makes it hard to determine age without looking it up. I, I would have to say he's probably 32, though. Oh, yeah. Even Love are only three years apart entering the league. So Yeah, I mean, and 32 is a new 22 these days. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, pretty much. It's just these guys have been able to extend their careers. So ho- hopefully he's able to remain a Cav. Uh, but my last question today for you, man, and I love to ask this question just because you get so many different answers. 
Uh, what is your favorite non-title Cavs memory? Oh, my favorite non-title Cavs memory. Wow. Um, I would say recently it was definitely that sex, uh, the Sexton game with the next season Brooklyn. debut. Yep. <laughs> that was an insane game. I watched that game with my girlfriend and I definitely, she, it was one of her first Cavs games she ever watched with me. And I was just going like bananas. Oh, I was man, just was screaming beautiful. all over the place. I'm like, Oh my God, there's no way he's going to make this next three over Kevin. Oh my God. It was, was magical, so, man. It was the, like, uh, that was the best thing to come out of that season. And that that's fine. I was happy with that. I, I, my header still on my uh, Twitter is the, Colin Sexton drinking the water after <laughs> that game. That that game brings a lot of happy memories to me. That's definitely my most recent happy Cavs memory. Um, <laughs> yeah, now, I mean, you can't go wrong with that one. Yeah, I don't want to like spend too much time on me pining Cavaliers past. <laughs> oh man, it's all good. I think for me, uh, it would probably be the Kyrie double nickel game. That was uh, a sight to see. And Kyrie, man, is. Whatever your opinion of him is, um, you know, at least now he was he was special to watch. He was it was definitely a joy to watch in his Cleveland days. It was, he was our most exciting offensive player we've had in the like past 10, 15, 20 years. <laughs> He's I mean, we, we think of the guy as arguably having the best handles ever. Maybe uh, he definitely has a claim to that. But he was mm-hmm. something on a night-to-night basis. You 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 knew you were going to see some type of special move out there. <laughs> yeah, he so. he was like one of my all-time favorite players in the league. Not even just like the Cavs, but I just fell in love with him the minute I was watching him play. He is just magical with the ball. He would do things that you would like use in like NBA Street or something. Like you exactly. would see some illegal dribble moves, and you'd think, "Oh, there's no way that actually wasn't a travel." Then you watch in slow motion, and so many intricate moves are going on. He would just leave you jaw dropped. And he's not a bad actor either. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> great movie. A, yeah, Uncle Drew. That was uh, that was something else. Uh, who would have thought that those uh, Pepsi commercials would have turned into an actual movie deal? But uh, with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and close out to today's episode, guys. Like I always tell you, if you like to reach out to me, you can at it's Cavalier underscore Pod on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube. Have a good day, and thank you to Corey Walsh for stopping by. Thanks for having me.